We are often our own demise, and I am becoming procrastination. You are so often so wrong about you, and you don't even know it. Self-identified as particle board, paper mache, duct taped. And you are wrong and right and confused. It's complicated, but so is a star, a flower, a quasar, a friendship, a marriage. Maybe, may we be refuge for the complicated, and for me... Well, I have zipped up my emotions into this dusty duffel bag that I've aptly named poetry. And I'll be on my merry way as soon as my pride turns me loose and unmangle the last morsel of manhood I can produce. Ma'am, I seem to have misplaced my confidence. Last place I've seen it, it was at the altar of your love, and it's complicated, and I am becoming complicated. May we stretch ourselves raw to erase the image we were made in, smoke, snort, and sex, or drown out the silence. We may waste our life savings on makeovers to try to rhinoplast our daddy's nose away, but no nip, no tuck could cut away the sense of obligation. We are becoming what we are not, but we, what we are, is inescapable, inescapable. You are a masterpiece fighting to be a silly selfie with a hideous filter. You are heaven's handmade calligraphy, slumming it among papyrus fonts. You are the complete and perfect works of a perfect and eternal poet, laureate with a laundry list of identity issues, and sometimes your plumbing don't match your urges, but your femininity, it forced a force field that protected our posterity. Your masculinity, it mustered up moxie to conquer mountains for our families. You are the rightful heir to not just a kingdom, but a universe, and you have your daddy's eyes. Stop being so traitorous. You are revelation revealed, pyramid constructors, conductors, conduits of lightning, yet you speak and breathe this arsenic, carcinogenics, and it causes car sickness. These scars are our witness to love hard is hard living, but it's life. It's who we are. It's messy and uncomfortable and complicated. But so is a star. Parenting. Childbirth. Love. And us. Us. I open that today with this poem. Because we find ourselves in a complicated place trying to find who we are. Neglecting that we've been activated by the spirit of Christ. And I, and I have named our message today, Egomaniac. Because my, ar- my argument today is today we constantly find ourselves fighting to preserve ourself, which is not who we actually are. We need to unmask ourselves so that we can find ourselves looking like Christ. I want to show you a definition that I loved of ego, if we can throw that first slide up. So ego, then, is the absence of true knowledge of who we really are, together with its result, a doomed clutching on at all costs to a cobbled-together makeshift image of ourselves, an inevitably chameleon charlatan self that keeps changing and has to to keep alive the fiction of of its existence. Ego is then defined as incessant movements of grasping at a a delusionary notion of I and mine, 
self and other and all the concepts, ideas, desires, and activity that will sustain that false construction. The fact that we need to grasp at all and go on and on grasping shows that in the depths of our being, we know that the self does not inherently exist. The ego's greatest triumph is to inveigle us into believing its best interests are our best interests. And even into identifying our very survival with its own. This is a savage irony, considering that ego and its grasping are at the root of all of our suffering. Yet ego is so convincing, and we have been its dupe for so long, that the thought that we might ever become egoless terrifies us. Are we afraid to lose ourselves this morning? That we might find something that's much more freeing. (laughs) We see the existence of our egos through our personality. (laughs) It's just my personality. That's just who I am. We find ourselves hiding behind this phrase. If they don't like me for who I am, well, we discard them. Right? Do we find ourselves ever finding, looking at ourselves in the mirror and we say, well, we just kind of have to accept accept us as we are, right? Or we don't accept ourselves as we are and so we put on our masks, right? We put on our masks because the Latin word for personality means mask. So when we find ourselves claiming to be something and saying, this is who I am, and then you begin to wrap your life around it to defend it, all you're defending is a false image of yourself. We find ourselves defending something that is not us. Our personality is the mask that we wear. Taking that mask off, trying to get Behind it, to remove it, is the work of a spiritual journey. We are here today, cooperatively together, on a spiritual journey. We're going to continue in James chapter 1. It says, those who hear but do not do the word are like those who look at their faces in a mirror. They look at themselves, walk away, and immediately forget what they were like. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We forget who we are (laughs) because we do not know who Christ is. Our life is filled with us trying to figure out who we are, but really, we forget who we are. The more we do that, the more we neglect to get to know who Jesus Christ is. We have beautiful tools that God has given us. We have scripture. We need to read the scripture. We need to open up this this preserved document that has been around for millennia. We need to accept that it's complicated. But we need to approach it with humility so that we can know who Christ is, so that we can know who we are. We have to get rid of ourselves. And we, also, we often find ourselves reflecting, self-reflecting on ourselves, do we not? We have these different masks that we put on. We have these different things that we consider of who we are, such as principled excellence as moral duty. Really, it's just the need to be perfect. 
to lavish love through self-sacrifice, really, the need to be needed. Appreciative recognition through curated successes, really, is just the need to succeed. These are ways that we self-reflect. Discovery of identity for faithful authenticity. Really, it's the need to be special. Decisive clarity through thoughtful conclusions, really, is just the need to understand in order to move forward. Steady consistency through confident loyalty, the need for security. Maybe you're starting to find yourself fitting into one of these or more of these categories, these needs that we have, these masks that we find ourselves hiding behind. Imaginative freedom for inspirational independence, really it's just the need to avoid pain at all costs. Impassioned intensity for unfettered autonomy, the need to be against or in control. Or harmonious peacefulness as congruent repose, the need to avoid, the longing for avoidance. These are ways that we self-reflect and we say, well, it's my personality to be perfect. I'm a perfectionist. That's what I desire. I want to have everything in its spot. That's where I want it, and I want to fix the things that are not. The need to be perfect. That's just who I am. No, it's not. In fact, I'm imperfect. Today is a story that I have for you, and we're going to look at, at storytelling. We're, we're going to look at some fairy tales to kind of give us insight into this gospel that we, that we follow. But the first story that I want to tell you is a story about myself, a perfectionist. That is a crippling label. To constantly walk into a room or to be around people, to have this constant criticism always going on of the things that need to be fixed. But claiming that it's because I know how to do it. (laughs) But it's also crippling because if I feel that I can't do something perfectly, I won't try at all. And oftentimes, and I'm going to share a story, oftentimes I find myself unable to dream dreams. Because of this this moral excellence, I see it as my moral duty to make things, to fix things, to make things perfect. It's my moral duty to get people to do the right thing. And so that causes me to not dream dreams. You can call me an anti-dreamer, and I don't love that about myself. I remember one day we were at school, my wife and I, and my sister-in-law, Emily, I remember they were going back and forth talking about, you know, they're just getting into that mind space of just like, what if? What if we had this much money? What if we won the lottery tomorrow? What would we do with it? And they're just having fun. <laughs> right? And you can, you're probably out there saying, hey, I would do this, I would do this, I would do this, I would do this, I would do this. Right? Oh, man. And I'm sitting there, I'm listening to it, and I'm, I'm getting more and more uh, uh, anxious on the inside and frustrated. Because I'm like, why, why are you dreaming about these things that is not reality? <laughs> That's not the reality we live in. And then they, they ask me, right? They open, I've just kind of 
right? Because I also like to avoid if I'm not necessarily invited into the conversation, if it's something that I don't want to get too flustered about because I know if I open my mouth, it's going to come out wrong. And they invited me into that conversation. What would you do? And I said, I want to do anything different than what I'm doing, right? Because what I'm doing is right. <laughs> I killed the dream. I shot it down. I said, What's, why do you want a house on a, on a cliff overseeing the ocean? Why do you want that? Do you not have enough? Have I not given you some, the right things? Have I not focused on giving you a proper environment to produce the happiness that we need? I am an anti-dreamer, and I don't love that about myself. But is that who I am? I have found my identity in that for many years. Find myself also placing alter egos on those who are closest to me because they represent me, right? Their actions, if people see what they do, it represents me. And so I have to make sure that those who are closest to me act a certain way. Hmm. Come on. The frustration that I have, right? I remember having a conversation with, with Ashley, and she was saying, she was, she was like, why do you give so many other people a, a long leash to make, to make mistakes and have failures? Why do you do that? But with us, it's like a, a whip. It hurts. You're mean. <laughs> and I can be. Why is that? Is because I'm insecure in my own, my own imperfections. And my fighting to grab onto perfection and my fighting to fix things brings me into a space that only produces anger, hostility, and frustration when I let it run loose. What are we fighting to cling to, to hide from the fears that we have? What are we running with? I want to I share what God's purpose for me is right here, right? I'm intense. I'm an intense individual. But God doesn't want my intensity. He didn't create me to be intense. He created me to be intentional. He didn't create me for anger and frustration. He created me for serenity. He didn't create me to fix the world. He created me to see how everything in the world is as, as it needs to be, and I can cooperate with it. He created this world. Why am I trying to fix it? It is my obligation to see how the pieces fit together. <laughs> Not to discard the pieces that I don't think belong. Hmm. Why are we so fascinated with storytelling? Why are we so fascinated hearing people's testimo testimonies? Why are we so fascinated with fairy tales and stories of superheroes and these supernatural events? Why? Because they give us the ability 
to enter into false realities, kind of as a numbing effect on our own life, right? With problems of our true reality from our life. They help us feel resolved in the midst of our suffering. Anybody out there like to read uh, stories, read books? Yeah, uh-huh. Who likes to watch Marvel movies? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I see the younger people raising their hands on that one. Come on. Who grew up watching Disney? <laughs> Here we go. They simultaneously make us feel our suffering and ease it by giving us a sense of hope and satisfaction. Today I'm defining suffering as the feeling of not being at home. This is why we love fairy tales. Because they give us a sense of what home might look like. What it might look like to see resolve in our own lives. Stories. Fairy tales. And when I was starting to look at them, we start, and, and I'm thinking about how they help us self-reflect, I start noticing all these different stories that literally have characters that look into the mirror throughout these stories. Right? We have the Lion King looking down in the puddle. Remember who you are. Yeah? Okay? Mulan? I'm not going to sing it because I don't want to hurt you guys' ears. But it says, when will my reflection show who I am inside? Hmm. <laughs> Sleeping Beauty, mirror, mirror on the wall. <laughs> you guys are with me. Alice into the looking glass. Beauty and the Beast. Little Mermaid. And then some of the darkest stories that are out there, we have the evil Medusa who is literally destroyed by her own reflection. She can't even look at herself. I wonder how many of us would feel destroyed if we just looked into the mirror. Hmm. Or we have Dorian Gray who has neglected looking at himself for so long in order to self-preserve that at any point now, if he were to look at his own reflection, he would go up in a, in a midst of smoke and ash, cease to exist. How long have we neglected looking at ourselves? How long have we suffered? How long are we going to continue to go and feel not at home with ourselves? <clears throat> the beauty about what we have, right? The Bible, the scripture, is that it's filled with stories. Here's the clear difference is that these stories are true. But they are told in story form nonetheless because we can enter our lives into these situations and we can find resolve. That's why scripture is so important. That's why storytelling for the Jewish tradition was so important. The art of storytelling. What we have is the gospel. The greatest story ever told. <laughs> it's this meeting of darkness and light and the final victory of light. The gospel having one major difference, obviously, is that fairy tales are fake. <laughs> Fictions of our imagination. But the gospel and our belief of it is to be true. That it not only happened once upon a time, but it has kept on happening and it is still happening today. It is the only story that continues to live on through us. The gospel is the ultimate story. I want to read, uh, <laughs> right? I want to read a story. 
And I want you to think about how it relates to us. How it relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because imitating Christ comes from a position of love. We should do this as a position of love. And the the story I'm going to read today is The Happy Hypocrite by Max Beerbaum. You guys with me on this? All right, so we have the protagonist. He's named Lord George Hell. A worldly man, he is conceited, fond of gambling, drinking, womanizing, and the like. He is enjoying lavish outdoor entertainment in London with his lover, La Gambodi. When a, lo- when, when a young and innocent uh, woman named Jenny Mir performs on stage, a dwarf sitting on the, with Lord George, revealed to be Cupid, shoots his arrow into Lord George's heart. Lord George boldly proposes marriage to Jenny as he sees her, but she says that she will only marry a man with the face of a saint. Confused, Lord George spends the night wandering the streets, heartbroken. In the morning, he stumbles upon a mask maker shop of a, of a man named Mr. Anias. He purchases a saint's face mask, custom altered to bear the mark of true love. La, La Gamboji, uh, who sees him leave the shop, with his new false face, confronts him. But he pretends not to know her and retreats to Kensington, intending to return to London that evening to see Jenny perform once again. However, while viewing his new look in the reflection of a brook, he sees Jenny, leaps across the brook and proposes marriage, and she accepts. <laughs> starting with the signing the marriage re- of the magister, uh, starting with signing the marriage register as George heaven. Lord George makes a total moral conversion by returning to, uh, by returning ill-gotten wealth to gamblers he had cheated and to rightful owners, donating excess money to charities. He then buys a wooden, a woodman's cottage to live a quiet, modest existence. The newlyweds lead a simple but unrealistic life, subsisting bread and honey and a little strawberries, seed cake, and dewberry wine. One month after the marriage, as the happy couple is celebrating the occasion, La Gamboji shows up and refuses to leave until she is granted one last look at Lord George's true face. A scuffle between the three people results in La Gamboji tearing off George's mask. Although he fears that his true love is lost, it turns out that his face has assumed the contours of the mask. Jenny concludes with ecstasy that he was testing her fidelity for a time before revealing his true, beautiful face. La Gamboji leaves the couple happily kissing as the mask melts into the sun. I find ourselves being a lot like Lord George, participating in things, right, with our lover, which is our ego. <laughs> This thing that we walk around with that's attached to us by our side. This thing that draws us away from who we truly are. If we can get that diagram up there. Cupid, I want to I wanna kind of, he, he strikes his heart kind of like the gospel strikes ours, is it not? It strikes our heart, and it should call us to a moral conversion. We should leave that lover, our ego, we should leave it and attach ourselves to the one that the gospel struck our heart to fall in love with, which is Jesus Christ. 
total moral conversion. And this, this moral conversion was not natural. The beauty of, of that self that he was becoming was not natural to him. It was something that he had to imitate. He had to put that mask on and imitate a saint. He had to imitate the moral conversion and what happened when he did that out of a position of love. When that mask came off, he was actually truly beautiful. See, what happens, people, today, what happens is that we, we neglect to actually participate in who Christ is. We neglect imitating him. We give up. We stop participating in who he is. And we cling to our ego, which causes us to go back into our addictions, which causes us to cling to alcohol, which causes us to cling to our sexual orientation, causes us to smoke. It causes us to find ourselves in anger and fits of rage. It finds ourselves saying that you need me in order to exist. It causes us to have feelings of despair and anxiety. It causes us to avoid when we cling onto our ego as our lover, as the one that we are intimate with, we find our personality. But when we discard our personality and say, I don't know who I am, and it doesn't really matter who I am, it matters who Christ is. It matters who Christ is, and that's when you find your true self. It's when you give up the security that you've built around you, so-called me and I. And you get rid of that and you walk to the side and you say, it's not about me. It's not about I. It's not who I am. It's about who Christ is. And I don't act like him right now, but I'm going to start imitating him. And when people call me fake and when people call me phony and my ego tries to get me back over into that place of my personality, I say no. And when they rip that mask off, what are they going to see? They're going to see Christ. <laughs> James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. <laughs> because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any, any of you lacks Wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossom, it, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test that that person will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived. (laughs) Do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of his firstborn of all that he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely, here it is, listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at the face in a, at their face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away, immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law of love that gives freedom and continues in it, (laughs) they will be blessed in what they do. Ephesians chapter 5 gives us a laundry list of things that are dark, right? We have all these things that we run to, but when are we going to stop? When are we going to, when is it going to be enough for us to feel secure? When are we going to know enough to have a confidence in our understanding? When will things be perfect enough? When will there be enough peace in your life for you to let go and let God? I'm sorry for the cliche, but it fits. Is it going to be one more drink? Is that enough? One more smoke. One more smack to the face. Is it going to be one more toxic relationship? Is it going to be one more night with your girlfriend or boyfriend? When are we going to commit? What's it going to take for us to say it's enough? Jesus is enough. I don't need it. I don't need who I am. I need who he is. When is it going to be enough? When are we going to trust him? We're out here trying to save ourselves when we've already been saved. <laughs> Come on. Man, you can't, you can't break free when you've already been set free. I mean, put the imagery in your head. You're trying to rip shackles off that don't exist. They're not there. You're just going to start digging into your own flesh. It's like we're miming sin in our lives. We're miming it. It's like we're saying there's a box here. There's no box there. Christ set you free. And you don't need one more sip. You don't need it. You don't need to find uh, a new sexual orientation because the one that you, you grew up having let you down. You don't need it. Christ is enough. Get rid of yourself today. 
Find your true self in him. It's not about your personality. And what the, the beautiful thing is in this, right, in this space that we exist, the beautiful thing about getting rid of ourselves, and I want to invite the praise team up and ushers get ready for communion. The beautiful thing about losing ourselves is that we don't only find Christ, but we find, find ourselves surrounded and unified with people. This is the beautiful thing about Christ because it was never about us. It was always about a group of people coming together in his name to bring the gospel, to bring the kingdom of God here. We feel so alone in the world that we're so, so constantly clinging to this thing that we feel is us. And we continue to feel singled out. We continue to feel alone. We can continue to feel depressed and full of fear. But when we get close to Christ and our, our eyes are opened up, we start to see it's like we're all walking to the same point, right? We're all coming out of the woods and we're all coming here. When are we going to drop? When are we going to drop those things? When are we going to drop Right? Our identity and which political aspect that we, we, we find ourselves in. Right? When are we going to drop the parties? When are we going to drop the, the politics? When are we going to drop our, our sin and pick up the cross? How long are we going to single ourselves out and single people out? When are we going to drop that, pick up the cross, and realize that there's a lot of people in this together? And together we make up the body of Christ. We make something that moves and breathes and lives and, and flourishes and brings hope and life and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness into this world. We're going to practice communion today. And we're going to acknowledge what Christ did for us on the cross. We're going to grab a hold of it today. And so when we when we drink and when we eat, we can, start, we can start passing out these emblems. It's like J.P. Dorsey said last week, right? When are we going to start acknowledging that the world is a, is, is a sacrament and that we experience Christ through, every, through everything that we do? We have an opportunity today to drop ourselves to drop our personalities, to cling on to Christ and recognize that the person to our left and to our right, we're unified in Christ and we're not alone. Today we're going to take, we're going to take the blood, right? The juice that represents the blood of Christ, the blood spilled out on the cross to give us a possibility of living life differently. We're going to accept that today. I want you to, to receive that today. And then we're going to worship. We're going to accept the beating that Christ took, right? So that we can stop beating ourselves. We don't need to do that. Because Christ did that for us.
go ahead and hold this circular wafer. <laughs> so simple, but it represents something that's so beautiful. And I want you to break it, representing that Christ was broken for us so that we could find ourselves in him. He opened himself up so that we could find ourselves in. Let's take that in remembrance of that. And then we have the juice that represents the blood that was spilled out on that, on that most holy day so that we can receive a covering for our sins. So that we can receive His imitation. So that we could find ourselves being who He is by associating ourselves with Him. This is representative of that. And as we drink, we're accepting that we are one with Him. We're letting go of our egos. And we're accepting Christ. We're accepting those that are around us. Let's drink. We can stand up together. We're going to worship. And I want you guys to, to open your hearts up to feeling his presence in your life because it's there. He's with you. Let us not be, right, let's not be egomaniacs, but let's be what DC Talk taught us back in the 90s. Let's be Jesus freaks. Come on. Let's find ourselves in him this morning.